Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to November. This is the Heart of the Soul podcast, and I'm your host, Amana. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I am truly honored. Today is November 18th, 2021. This episode will publish on tomorrow's full moon of the 19th, and I turn 39 the next day on the 20th. Today is a gray day here in Spokane, Washington, and this guy just started releasing little snow flurries that I am getting to observe right out my window. I am so excited for the first big blanket of snow. I'm not sure this will be it, but I just love the changing of the seasons. Here on the Heart of the Soul, I offer raw, uncut stories on each full and new moon, sharing my own personal journey of facing my fear of speaking and being heard and creating space for others to share their stories with the world. This is a space where we remember what it means to be wild, human, and alive. We breathe life back into storytelling, honoring each other's differences and connecting about that which unites us all as human beings. So before we get into the next episode, I would love to take a moment to bring awareness to our hearts. We all have a heart. Did you know that the heart's magnetic field, which is the strongest rhythmic field produced by the human body, not only envelops every cell of the body, but also extends out in all directions into the space around us. The heart's magnetic field can be measured several feet away from the body by sensitive magnometers. Based on research conducted at HMI, which suggests the heart's field is an important carrier of information. And I'll include a little link to that little quote that I just read in the show notes. So perhaps you have experienced another person walking into your space and immediately having a strong reaction to that person's energy, good or bad. I know I have. And, you know, well, perhaps it was their heart's magnetic resonance that you were reacting to. So no further ado, here we're going to go to Andy Chapman's episode that I recorded with her on November 5th. She is a dear friend and former colleague of mine, and I really hope that you enjoy this beautiful episode. See you at the end. Hello, hello, my name is Amana, the host of The Heart of the Soul. Today I have with me my dear friend, Andy Chapburn. I met her about six years ago when I started working in palliative care and our relationship has blossomed and grown over time. I have really enjoyed her wisdom and insights and knowledge that she shared with me over the years and really treasure the time that we get to be together, whether it's having tea in the backyard or we went for our first cold plunge in the river the other day. Um, Just 
I am so excited to have her here today and share some of her stories and wisdoms with wisdom with all of you. And Andy, I would love if you could start off by sharing a little bit about yourself, where you're from, maybe some of your passions and how you are today. Definitely. It's so good to be with you. And uh, gosh, the I feel like when I'm with you, the just the insights are synergistic. It's um, you're such I feel like there's an energy around our heart centers that just is amplified um, when we're together. And I love that. So, uh, so I'm Andy Chapern. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, spent my growing up years there. Uh, some of my favorite memories are on my grandparents' farm in Owasso, Michigan, which is a small town halfway between Lansing and Flint and uh, meandered through the Midwest, through Iowa for undergraduate and Kansas City for graduate school, uh, medical school, and then uh, found um, my partner in life, John, and I found our way to Spokane uh, 11 years ago uh, to Washington State and haven't looked back. We are firmly planted in the mountains and the trees of uh, of Eastern Washington and the Selkirk and Northern Rockies. Wonderful. And did you always like, how did you navigate this path to medical school? Like how, how did that begin for you? Were there other potential paths that you envisioned and then you made this choice? Was it very clear from a young age? Was it something that developed over time? That, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it was, it's so interesting now, uh, from this point, looking back, it was so clear. I, I even remember as a four-year-old, um, have some of my earliest memories were so clearly around, I'm going to be a doctor. That's what I'm going to do. And there just was no other option. Uh, and I just was so focused on that. And, um, and all through school, I mean, did the Science Olympiad extracurriculars because gosh, that was the path and was always, um, yeah, just always headed in that direction. Um, during undergrad, I also did a, um, a minor, almost a double major in uh, religion and philosophy. And there was a point as I was applying to medical school and during my senior year after I had been accepted to medical school, uh, where I just really started to doubt, uh, not doubt my decision to go to medical school. That wasn't, uh, there was no doubt there, but also was feeling drawn into this, um, drawn into working in uh, communities that practice ritual together. Uh, I was an ordained, uh, lay minister in our denomination, uh, the Community of Christ. It's a small, um, small uh, liberal uh, Christian denomination that plays well with others and uh, is uh, came out of the uh, the American uh, Enlightenment and uh, Reformation movement in the 1800s, and really. Uh, really was looking at 
at that and met my life partner. And he was working for our denomination uh, after he graduated from school and decided it was clearly enough that one of us <laughs> worked. We probably better not work together in the same, in the same field or in the same, for the same uh, group or nonprofit. And so that was, that was very clear that that was his arena. Um, and I got to dabble and play when I wanted to. Mm. Um, so medical school is clear. Uh, the irony is that, uh, so I went to medical school, um, uh, DO school and osteopathic school, uh, <clears throat> which is um, um, an alternate path. Uh, alternate may not be the, uh, the, the preferred term, but uh, it's, so there are MDs and DOs. Uh, allopathic is the MD pathway, uh, which is the norm in the US. Uh, osteopathic is uh, really focused it developed uh, at the turn of the century in 1900s and really uh, developed trying to look at whole persons, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, and that was something that appealed to me. Um, the irony is that I'm doing full-time ethics now. I'm not practicing medicine any longer. Uh, and, and so looking back, it's, uh, it's just so interesting. So how those seasons of life uh, are so clear and, and so lovely and, for the clarity of that moment and they transform. Yes. Yes. When we work together, you were working like partly as a palliative care physician and then mm -hmm. partly in the, your ethics role. Yes. Yeah. And how did that transition go into ethics and full-time yeah. and why? And yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, well, I, I, I love both. And that's uh, being on the Enneagram, I am so clearly uh, have my, of, of course, we're all, we all contain all of the tendencies and we contain multitudes, but um, my most predominant um, outward expression is a seven on the Enneagram, which is the enthusiast, which loves everything and <laughs> presents its own unique opportunities for personal growth and, and, uh, and narrowing things down. Um, but yeah, I, um, I did a master's degree in bioethics uh, during medical school and uh, during my fellowship in palliative care at the University of Kansas, uh, worked on their ethics committee uh, as an ethics consultant and just continued and started off my career doing 50-50 uh, palliative care and ethics. And actually, um, before we move forward, could you just explain for people who might not know what palliative care is? Oh, sure. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, palliative care, the official definition is uh, medical specialty uh, focused on pain and symptom management for anyone with a serious illness at any stage and any age. Uh, some of that includes hospice, which is uh, in the in the U.S. It's it's really focused on the definition of, in general, an individual with a terminal illness who, on average, uh, would have a six month or less uh, prognosis or time. Um, uh, left based on what's going on in their body. And, uh, and that also uh, really just uh, focuses on a whole person's body, mind, spirit, relationships, uh, what matters most. Which changes are you as over a time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Definitely changes over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so ethics and palliative <laughs> care was such a natural fit. 
And I, I did the ethics degree because I, I knew I wanted to go into palliative care uh, from, from a place from undergrad. I had done a, a wonderful class on, taught by our process theology uh, professor, Bob Mesley, uh, who's a dear, dear friend now. And uh, he taught it on suffering and meaning. And I was, I was captured. Um, he also taught our bioethics class in undergrad and, um, and the suffering, the, just the, the concept of digging into and leaning towards suffering, uh, and not, and knowing that we, we have the opportunity to grow from our suffering, knowing that all life involves suffering, the first noble truth of Buddhism and, uh, and that is, um, I mean, suffering is so universal. It's shared in all, uh, all world religions, uh, both theistic and, uh, and non-theistic. And it's, uh, it's part of what shapes our lives. Um, and so knowing that it was suffering is a part of life, uh, wanted to make sure that, or wanted to, wanted to make sure that I really had an, just a, a stance that leaned in from a curious perspective and from a growth perspective and said, hey, we can make, we can make meaning out of our suffering. I, it doesn't mean that I wish for it or want it to happen. It doesn't mean that I'm thankful for the suffering or that I'm glad for um, um any type of war, abuse, genocide, or um, or violence in the world, not at all. That's not what I'm saying, but that uh, throughout, uh, I think throughout human history, uh, we have the opportunity and the invitation to create meaning uh, in the midst of how we make sense of our suffering. And, and that's, that meaning-making is part of what defines us. Absolutely. I don't know that I answered your question. You said, how did I navigate towards? Yeah. Well, maybe you can see that now, like coming into ethics full time and what does that feel like and look like for you? And, um, yeah, yeah. I love, um, it's, I certainly didn't, um, I certainly wasn't What is ethics? Like, what do you do as an ethics person? You know, like, Great question. Yes, let's start with the the basics. Yeah, so clinical ethics. So, but the field of ethics in general mm-hmm. is um, is so wide and and um, and can include uh, um, eco uh, eco ethics, ethics focused on creation, uh, ecology, political ethics, financial ethics, business ethics, etc. Um, I'm solidly in bioethics, and within the realm of bioethics. Uh, focused on really human clinical ethics, which is ethics uh, questions that arise within uh, the care of of, of people, uh, whether it's in um, traditional uh, hospital or clinic medicine uh, or uh, integrative medicine arenas. And it, it really looks at the st- holding space for the stuck spots that arise uh, because we are, gosh, we're a diverse group of people caring for a diverse group of the population. And 
uh, we're no longer in 200 person tribes that all have a homogenous belief system or value system. Um, and we all have um, unique, unique experiences and beliefs that shape our world. And it's normal that um, questions and stuck spots would arise. And when they're not, when the teams that uh, the primary teams, the doctors, the nurses, the social workers, chaplains um, are navigating these stuck spots and they're still stuck, then we can walk alongside families and care teams to accompany them through uh, just holding space for multiple perspectives. And what we, I mean, what we usually find is that everyone is trying to do, ethics is not about uh, what's right or what's wrong, what's good or what's bad. In fact, we try I try to make sure that I'm not using those terms or labels because generally what we find is um, people turning and responding in love, um, which in within suffering sometimes shows up as fear and protection and everyone's trying to do their best and has different ways of thinking about um, what, what that looks like. Um, and so if we can hold curiosity and openness and, um, and ask beautiful questions of all, all the different perspectives that are playing into what's going on in the stuck spot, then we can usually find multiple ways forward um, that would be morally permissible and ethically justifiable. So a lot of the work that you do is listening and having conversations and asking mm -hmm. questions is that right definitely yeah yeah and is there you spoke to these different like um types of working within ethics uh, but i wonder if you could give an even more core um definition of just ethics by itself for listeners that might like i even as a nurse when i started working in palliative care and you were this ethics provider and i I didn't really know what that was until I met you and you explained it more and I read more about it. Oh gosh, I think that's the hardest thing is defining okay. what ethics okay. is. Uh, so I'm gonna, um, when I, so I teach, so part of my role, about a third of what I do is uh, consultation and accompaniment through stuck spots. Uh, another third is policy work or organizational ethics or advocacy, and then another third of the work is um, is education and teaching. Typically, for uh, I'm I work in uh, Catholic healthcare, and it's not an academic center, but we have a lot of learners. We also have a lot of just uh, adult professionals who have ongoing uh, education requirements for their licenses, and and we want to always be growing and enriching. And so, I offer a lot of continuing education opportunities. And in that, um, I've because ethics is so hard to define and, and can come from uh, such, a, such a moralistic perspective on uh, a majority population deciding what the good is or what the right things are, um, that's, that can be um, a field of ethics and, uh, anymore, I try to reject that posture, um, and find it, uh, 
uh, unhelpful. And instead, um, try to define ethics by um, by the some of the original questions uh, throughout antiquity of uh, who are we as people and how ought we be with one another in community. So if we if we if I'm defining things through a question, which is very Socratic of me. No, I love uh, it. It's, yeah, it's, here we are. We're, <clears throat> we're in community with one another, like it or not. Mm-hmm. How ought we be with one another in that community? Um, and then the question that I'm always trying to ask, um, and I'm asking on, and I'm actually able to embody on my best days and, uh, and strive towards on, on my not best days, Uh, is what does love look like in this situation? How does love show up here? Yes, what a beautiful way to invite love into those conversations and um, shift the focus there and have that, allow that to like uncover other things. Yeah. Yes. I wonder if you would maybe share some of your, I've loved getting to know you over the years and like witness your personal journey and path and the way that you interact with the world around you, with the people around you, with the um, environment you're living in. I know you've started, um, you have a canoe or a kayak, a kayak, kayak. Yes. And you've been spending more time on the water and just had a, a silent retreat recently. And I'm wondering Mm. if maybe you can sort of share a little bit more, maybe start from like how you grew up and your relationship to the natural world. Yeah. uh, And how that maybe has shifted and changed over time. Okay. Um, Well, growing up, um, if I think about the natural world growing up, uh, I think about my grandparents' farm on 150 acres with, uh, with a river that uh, ran through the back uh, third. And, and just remember uh, with my cousins and the second oldest cousin on both sides of my family and uh, just have lovely memories of being able to wander through um, wildflowers and probably weeds of all kinds. <laughs> And, and just explore, um, explore with a lot of freedom, um, splash through those puddles and hop across stones and get stuck in, um, in cow patties from time to time when we dare one another um, and build forts out of hay, um, hay bales and run into a raccoon here or there and, and just, um, uh, just really enjoy it. Um, we, I remember one of my most poignant memories as a child was maybe when I was eight or nine and, uh, my grandmother and mom and two younger brothers went up to, uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan where she grew up. Uh, she grew up on, uh, in a logging camp, uh, her, her father and grandfather and uncles, uh, ran, uh, a logging, uh, business in the upper peninsula. Um, and uh, right around Pitchard Rocks. And so we toured Pitchard Rocks and went in Lake Superior and uh, jumped in that frigid cold water where you get an ice cream headache almost as soon as you jumped in in July. And 
Um, and so it was, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, in that, I'm going back to that memory and the memory was stepping into this forest. I had never, I'd never really thought about hiking. It was just, I mean, um, hiking, I didn't really even know what hiking was until I was, I got married and we went hiking on our honeymoon, uh, and <laughs> got a pair of hiking boots from my in-laws for, our, uh, for a wedding gift. And, um, we were just walking through the forest and I just remember being surrounded by green, these green ferns, these green hostas, like the, and the moss, the, just the velvety moss and the trees, um, and just feeling so very safe and at home, um, uh, during that, during that first introduction to really hiking, which I had no idea that that's what that was called, uh, when I was eight. Yeah, I love that. That like, yeah, hiking is walking. You know, there's this mm-hmm. big like hoopla about hiking and maybe needing certain things, but when you come down to the basics, it's walking through yes. across land. And uh, I think that's beautiful yeah. to have that to return to. Yeah, yeah, returning to. Uh, yeah, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, the the silent retreat. Um, so we're just to situate us in time and space. Um, it's gosh, it's November, uh, 2021 and in, working in ethics, I've been, uh, the majority of the last 18 to 20 months of my life has been aimed at and focused on, uh, the, the dilemmas and stuck spots that come up within, uh, hospitals and clinics in a pandemic. And, uh, and everything that goes along with it. And just uh, right around Labor Day, uh, it was early September, uh, recognized that I was just exhausted. Um, I had, um, I got to a point where I, I was exhausted. Um, I was just, there's been a lot of grief, a lot of deep, deep grief um, and sadness over the last uh almost two years, just bearing witness to not only the division um, and polarity within our country and how that plays out in healthcare around vaccinations and pandemics, but also just the, the death um, and, and the separation that we've had from one another uh, relationally in so many ways. Um, and recognized that I needed time away and time, and my soul was craving uh, just being in the wilderness among the trees, um, just to heal, just to be. And I didn't know for how long, I didn't know, didn't know exactly what I needed, but I knew that I was, my soul was craving returning to the trees. And, um, and so I did, I took, um, I took about five and a half weeks of uh, mental health. Um, uh, thank goodness Washington State has paid family uh, FMLA, family medical leave, and um, and it was it was the gift that I needed at that time. Yes, and you shared with me that you hadn't like taken more than two weeks off or something like that for basically your adult life. Oh, um, you have mostly gone from like school to work and back again. And 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, two week vacations. I try to take two week vacations every year. Um, and we try to travel internationally just because it's, I love traveling and learning new things about new cultures. And, um, and the most beautiful thing is that I, I can turn my phone off when I'm on international airspace. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a good boundary. Um, but so, yeah, I hadn't, um, really since really since I graduated high school because I, I had worked every summer um, since I graduated high school I hadn't had more than two weeks uh, where I wasn't either in school or working um, yeah since then and so to have uh, gosh five and a half weeks was it was just luxurious and felt like an eternity it was it was wonderful. Did it take some time for you to sort of settle into that space of having the space to do what felt good to you in those moments, in those weeks? Yeah, it was scary. Initially, I just took one week. I thought, oh, I just need a vacation. I just need one week. I haven't really taken vacation during this pandemic, except for a couple of days here and there. Um, and then maybe almost a week, um, just because we haven't been traveling. And um, so I thought it would just be a week. And, um, so I tried, what I tried to do is just settle in fast and being alone and being silent, uh, was kind of the deepest way I knew how to settle in fast. Um, if that's even a thing and maybe, maybe I didn't settle in fast, but I had the illusion of that. Um, but that was my, that was the intention. And I had done a silent retreat with a group before, uh, but had never done one alone. And, um, and so um, I think the, I, I started uh, by going to a retreat center. It wasn't really open, uh, but I, I was able to rent a cottage and uh, just be alone and cook for myself. Um, but I think the thing that helped me settle in the most was um, just listening to my body. And, uh, one of the things that came up as I was walking, um, their, um, their circular, uh, paths, there were circles within circles, within circles on this, uh, on this retreat center uh, grounds and just taking my shoes off, um, taking my shoes off, walking slowly, touching all four corners of my feet to the bare earth, taking socks off and, and just feeling that connection. Uh, it was like, I couldn't get close enough to the earth. And mm -hmm. so I kept trying to strip away anything that was keeping me from, <clears throat> from that. Um, and I, and that definitely helped things settle in just, yeah. I love how I feel like intuitively sometimes we have these, um, desires to do these different things, like take our shoes off and be really close to the earth and be in nature. And I love how then like in this day and age, science is also like validating the benefits of these, um, things that we do to our immune system and to our mood that being, out with nature and connecting to the ground and to the trees and to the world around us and how much that can um, benefit us and bring us. It's like this reciprocity with the world around us. 
Yeah, there, there was, it was almost as though like I was, as I said, like as I entered into uh, this time, um, I, there was just this sense of communication too with, um, as long as I was listening, there was this sense of communication, nonverbal, uh, not needing any words uh, with the trees, like hello, Aspen and, and good morning fur and um, cedar, you're looking radiant in your 400 years of life. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and just, just this mutual honoring and reciprocity that just, it just felt like, um, yeah, it felt like I was in, people say, well, weren't you lonely uh, when I've been talking about this? And I was like, no, I was surrounded by community. Uh, the more than human community I've been surrounded by, um, the banana slugs and the, uh, and the leopard slugs and the, the slugs that look like morel mushrooms that um, I'm still learning the names of. <laughs> and um, there was awesome, yeah, there, this- And an owl, you had an interaction with yes. an owl. Yeah, share about that. Oh, it was so lovely. I, I was actually lost. Um, I thought that I, I thought that I was on the trails of uh, this retreat grounds, but I was actually on uh, the trails of the local um, Windsong school, I believe, or Waldorf school. I'm not remembering which. And uh, and I, this field opened to um, this uh, these this labyrinth made out of stumps that was fairly rudimentary um, and a, an elaborate rope playground that was created within the trees, um, it, clearly handmade. And, um, and there was this, as I was looking in the trees, there was this gorgeous uh, barred owl who I, I was probably 10 feet away from. And she was in a, a low branch of an aspen tree. Um, and it was, she was maybe 10 feet off the ground. No, not even 10 probably like seven or eight feet off the ground. And we just locked eyes and stared at one another and just breathed together in this, in this space for what felt like 10 minutes. It, it was so sacred and, um, and it was, it was kind of like she was standing guard. This was her post and she, she was holding her post and it was like she was welcoming in me into the space for just a moment, but she also had, there was this, there was also this vibe that she was giving off that like, I, I am the keeper of this space. I look over these children every day. Like you may, you may enter for a moment. <laughs> there were no other humans there in that time, but it was just, um, this was her space. And I was, I was entering her space and, um, and she, yeah, there was, there was a welcome and there was a reverence and there was, there was also a little bit of a warning, <laughs> but it was, it was good. Yes. It's so incredible how without words you can, you know, feel and hear all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, in those moments, it's like the only thing you can do as, as we parted, it was like the only thing I could do is just just thank her and, um, and wish her well in her post. And she wished me well in mine. And um, yeah, there were so many beautiful sacred moments like that. 
do you feel like there are any ways of being that you um, develop during your time off that you feel like you're carrying with you forward after that time? Yeah, I think that's the hardest part is how do I, how do I return to work? I've been back to work for about two and a half weeks now, um, three weeks right at the end of a week and just integrating pieces of that um, and trying not to forgive. I, it's so easy and quick. I think I, I struggle with it's, it's so easy to fall into old patterns of being, and it's so quick to forget. And I, I don't want to, I long for keeping so many pieces of that. And so um, I, in between zoom meetings, I'm trying to go with my bare feet out uh, to my backyard and just hold my hands up to the sky and receive the sunshine as though my hands are leaves and uh, wiggle my toes down into the earth as though they're roots and and like say and say hello mycelia like I'm I'm here again (laughs) and um and just just be aware of the not only the imaginal world but also just the the unseen very real world that is creating a a web of connectedness and solidarity and interconnectedness throughout the earth and so I, I guess I'm just trying to carry those slivers of moments with me and um, as I approach, uh, the day as much as I can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there are, when you look back upon the years that you have lived thus far, are there moments, um, decisions, experiences that you might want to share about that you feel have really like shifted or changed where you were headed in that moment or that changed the way that you experience life? Mm. Whether it's a conversation or a trip or a moment alone, I don't know. That's a beautiful question. I'm going to have to keep thinking about that. Um, I've certainly, there are these sentinel moments, um, um, deaths of a generation, for instance, of, of grandparents on one side or another of that, that give the opportunity to look back on kind of what are those things that they've, that they've taught the, like the moral legacies that I want to carry forward. Those have shaped me. Um, um, my mantra when I think of my grandmother and when I need to, um, recall her strength and generosity is I, I, I wear her wedding ring, um, every day. And, uh, I look down at the, the two primary stones and think bold grace and she embodied bold grace. So that, that was certainly, um, she was such loomed as such an influential figure in my life. Um, I think as I continue to think about, I, I have so many, um, well, as, as so many of us do, I have adverse childhood events that I continue to unpack and excavate through therapy and experiences. And I think as every year I learn something more about that and pull on a different thread in a different way. 
um, and try to integrate that into how I reframe and, and shape my life and make meaning out of those experiences um, that I wish would have been different um, to begin with, but they weren't. Um, it's, yeah, I'm trying to think of a specific sentinel moment, uh, but it's, I, I think things have been generally kind of had a flow to them mm-hmm. and they've, there's been such a weaving in of, of things. Um, the pandemic has definitely been clarifying for me um, just prior to kind of in the, in the year, in the year and a half prior to the pandemic, um, I was still very active in my faith community and um, was uh, really committed to and um, and hopeful to um, lead and navigate uh, kind of a, a, a death and rebirth transformation of how we are with one another as community within that group. Um, and um, as things go, there was an initial excitement about that. And then there was a, a, um, a distinct reaction and, and, um, and uh, resistance against that once we started, as there is with many things when change is the theme and the topic. And uh, so um, that led to uh, resigning in uh, my post um, and in my role um, uh, within that uh, denomination and group. And eventually um, after discerning uh, a resignation of priesthood and and which opened to a freedom to really, um, to, I mean, God got so much bigger for me in that, uh, in that moment and in these moments. And, but I think if I look back, I think that had been developing and those seeds had been planted like Mm -hmm. five and 10 years prior as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, to the point where, I mean, just a beautiful divine oneness, uh, is, is always available. And I fall into forgetting, um, so often, but, um, the more than human world, animals, uh, plants and fungi, I mean, just in front, deep friendships, uh, like you, uh, just connecting to that reminds me and I come back to it. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of shifts, uh, but the, the pandemic has definitely been a portal for me, uh, for transformation and an opportunity to, to really, um, widen um, my worldview and my sense of community, um, even though my human interactions have been much less. Yes. When you, I love that you're speaking to this widening of your worldview, because I see you as a person who, from like the work and studies that you've done, like you do have a wider worldview than some, I mean, everyone has their own unique perspective. Um, I sort of lost my question there. I was going to ask about, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to finish that sentence. So I'm not going to. (laughs) That's all right. (sighs) (sighs) Yeah. Studying in undergrad, studying world religions was a huge world opener. Um, and traveling, oh gosh, traveling is always a world opener. I, um, I volunteered 
I volunteered in Zambia, uh, in Livingston, Zambia, and lived there with a family for uh, for a summer um, in 2002 and or 2003. Um, and that was, and of course, that opened not only. I mean, uh, I mean, I went with the with the typical. I mean, as as a white woman who grew up in the Midwest, I I went with the perspective I knew, which was a very colonialistic, uh, I'm going to, uh, to quote unquote, help quote unquote, uh, these individuals who are less fortunate for me, which is compassion, which I of course learned that it's not, and it's colonialism. And, um, and uh, it was a summer where I, I learned, I definitely learned that. Um, and so my, our task, we didn't have a task when we went, it was very Peace Corps, modeled after the Peace Corps um, in that there's not necessarily a, sometimes there's a specific task such as being, as filling a teaching role in a school or something. Uh, we didn't have, my partner Claudia and I didn't have a specific task and our task was to, uh, was to bear witness um, and, and explore cultural exchange and to listen and to be with. And once we, once we discover that, oh, there's not something we're supposed to do, we're just supposed to be, um, it was so much more freeing. But uh, if I'm honest, I don't think that, I don't think that uh, we had that revelation until the very end of our time there. Um, uh, but such a powerful learning. And um, I think, well, and I think bearing witness bearing witness to what is and knowing that all life involves suffering that gosh, that's been a thread. That's been a theme throughout my life. It feels, it definitely feels like that. Whatever it is that I'm doing, that's, that's the common thread in my life. Yes. Wow. What an experience. And yes, because we're so focused on doing things in this culture and there to be a task and a thing to do. I love that you had this experience, even if you didn't fully like understand it until the end that it was just to be with them that you still had those moments and times and experiences and observation and um, learning about them I think that is really beautiful did you grow up in a family where you went to church and said prayers and things like that or how was that where where were you coming from entering that space yeah 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 um I did. And at Western Michigan is, I mean, gosh, uh, a hotbed of um, uh, Christian, many Christian reform denominations. Um, and uh, I did, I grew up in the dominant denomination that I served uh, for many years. And um, my parents uh, were active and my dad was um, in the lay priesthood. Uh, my grandparents uh, my mom's side were both one year grandpa was pastor of the little country church and the other year grandma was, she was one of the first mm-hmm. women ordained, uh, in, I believe 1984 or 85, uh, within the first three years that women were ordained in the denomination. And I was always very proud of that. Yes. Um, yes. What's her name? Jean, Jean, Jean. Ann Rossman. Yeah. Um, a little bit ago, you brought up death and I would love to take this opportunity to speak a little bit about death with you because 
you have, you know, been witness to and had conversations with many people surrounding this aspect of life that is part of the full circle of life and birth and living and death. And I wonder if you might share a little bit about just your view of death at this moment in your life. And I know that that will encompass like some of the experiences that you've had and uh, um, what you've borne witness to. Yeah. Um, My view of death has definitely uh, evolved throughout my life uh, from, I was um, involved as a young child in the, just the, the typical pieces of a natural death, giving a bath uh, for my great grandparents. And I think that's one of the things my family did very well. And, and one of the things that drew me to, to palliative care and hospice uh, to begin with. Um, it, um, I, I also, um, as, I, as I transitioned to more ethics work from palliative care, simply because um, the geographic region I was serving, I am serving uh, for the hospital, or the hospital system, excuse me, continue to grow and grow and cover more and more hospitals. And, um, and um, I could do, uh, I found that so much, so much of the palliative care pieces uh, around uh, the questions of end of life, I could still do within uh, some of the ethics role. Uh, but also the the ethics role could also could also encompass um, some of those really um, culturally messy questions around mental health and uh, serious mental uh, illness and suicide um, and some of the some of the edges of the questions that I, I think uh, medicine as as a culture um, is is still very much on the the growing edge of facing around mental health advanced directives and um, and and navigating uh, uh, questions about surrogate decision making um, and individual autonomy. Uh, for instance, if if someone is uh, the questions that come up, I'll give an example. Are um, if someone's on dialysis, uh, for instance, maybe even a young person on dialysis, and uh, as can happen from some of uh, either from uh, injuries or trauma or and damage to the kidneys or diabetes or uh, medication side effects uh, from uh, very high doses of um, some older uh, type uh, uh, mental health medications. Um, and if someone is uh, in the hospital, for instance, involuntarily uh, for um, mental health stabilization and uh, refuses dial- dialysis, um, how, do we, how might we navigate that? Do they have the capacity to do that? And who, who decides and how do we tease out, if we're a whole person, how do we tease out body, mind, and soul? And so those were some of the things that were drawing me, some of the questions that I had the freedom to explore and dive into in ethics that um, uh, at the intersection of psychiatry and ethics and palliative care. Um, And um, yeah, so I I certainly came into medical school with like 
wanting to, I'm sure that my admissions essays said something about wanting to be able to facilitate beautiful deaths. And, uh, and I still hope for that for many people. And, and I also recognize that uh, a beautiful death will look different to many people. Um, it doesn't all look the same. It's not always uh, at home on the couch surrounded by loved ones is as comfortable as one could be. Um, for others, it, it looks very different and, and might look um, uh, might look um, very scary or um, even violent to others, uh, but it's authentic to that individual. And so honoring that um, is part of my view of death uh, at this point in my life. I also um, um, have had a couple experiences this summer. Um, what I had uh, a heat stroke. We had unprecedented uh, high temperatures this summer and in Spokane, many people don't have air conditioning and I did not at the time have air conditioning, we do now, and was volunteering on a farm and uh, pushing myself too hard and, um, and wound up in the hospital, um, admitted, uh, and uh, found that I had, uh, I only went when my husband realized what, that I was having hallucinations of being uh, deep in the ocean, uh, desiring to go down and visit the tube worms. And it was, um, it was incredibly peaceful and just the, it was a sense of, uh, surrender, uh, and peace and, uh, and, and oneness. And it was, it was really lovely. Um, and uh, there was kind of, as I, as I started to get better and they had more fluids in me, um, and my temperature was coming down, um, it got a little scarier and realized that that, that could have been very serious. But um, I don't know, as, I, as I've borne witness to others who have been uh, going through that end of life uh, passage, as we all will, um, I, I think that the assurance that there can be peace and a sense of surrender and a sense of uh, being surrounded by loving community, um, as I felt in um, in the hallucination that I had, I, um, it was very reassuring and, and lovely. Outwardly, I'm sure very scary and unfortunate and um, and <clears throat> less than ideal and poorly timed. Um, I've also, um, if I can, I I also. I've, for the first time in my life uh, and have shared this with, um, of course, my husband and therapist and uh, psychiatrist and closest, uh, closest friends. Um, but um, as I was taking uh, time away from work um, and was very burned out and grieving um, for the first time in my life had uh, thoughts of um, thoughts that I would be better off um, uh, dead um, not with any plan or any specific intent, but with uh, just this passive okayness um, and sense that the earth probably doesn't need another human um, leading it toward faster and faster climate change, um, living hard upon this earth. And, um, and the response that I got from uh, as I would walk um, as I was walking through through the forests, um, 
uh, there was just this beautiful sense from the trees that, um, no, we, we need you to bear witness to us. Um, we need you, you're not done yet. And, um, and so I think my view of death um, has, has certainly expanded as well into um, I think the mystery just keeps expanding, just like the universe, the, the stars, yes. the universe, the yes. keeps expanding and growing. And I just think the infinite, I don't know, the sense of the infinite and just keeps expanding. And yes. it's, it's wild and I love it, it. It is. I mean, I've been thinking of that too. And every time I pause to really like zoom out, like you said, of the, to see the infinity of the universe and that right now we're just literally like on this hurling like rock through mm-hmm. this black space of that expands into the unknown and we have this sun that we're revolving around that is keeping us alive and warm and water we have water we're made of yeah. water like yes and as what is it every every drop in the ocean is the ocean and every ocean is the drop it's yeah yes. i think thomas keating maybe as long along with generations and generations before him yes. yeah yeah it's just mm. yeah expanding and i'm just in awe of it every time i pause to think and witness and even staring up at the sky into beyond where i can see <sighs> mm-hmm. i i love that you brought up also that death can be there are many different expressions of death and then sometimes there's suffering and sometimes there you know perceived suffering and sometimes there's not and there can be um you know each individual's desires for their death are different and what is considered to be a quote unquote good death maybe or whatnot but that's really um different for each person and that death can be exquisite like i've been reading this book um herbal rituals by judith berger and she speaks about the leaves that just happened in this you know month of October into November that the leaves like even in death they're like exquisite when their color changes as they like go towards dying they're just like beautiful and vibrant and how yes and I've witnessed people dying and they look exquisite as well you know not there are all, I've seen many variations of death, but I have witnessed people that just look, are radiating beauty as they, you know, are taking their last breaths. Yes. Yeah. And I think surrender has something to do with it, or it feels like, I mean, I feel like the more and more I watch or experience, like when, when you fight against that good night, as in Dillis Thomas, Thomas's poem, that rage, rage against the dying of the light. Um, and th- that's certainly one, one way. And there's, there's valiantness in that. Um, and um, there's such, there's such exquisite beauty in letting be what will be and to surrender to what is, and to just be connected to, 
connected to all that is uh, in this in this beautiful world that um, yeah it feels like there's a there's an element for me it feels like an a posture of surrender um, not in a like resig not in a resignation or like a not any sort of hastening is maybe no yeah but... not any yeah not that at all. Uh, but just a a peace, maybe peace would be a better word, but as, I mean, I'm struggling to find my words around <laughs> yeah, this, which is yeah. normal, uh, yes. how, how normal that there aren't words to describe the ineffable. Mm, I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. but this is an experience we, we all go through and yeah. yet we often, yeah, don't have even like the words or language to describe what it looks like or feels like. And it's so also the mystery in it that's unknown what each individual experiences on their path through death into death. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. And the, the promise of, of regeneration and rebirth and connectedness, like the, after, after the fall of the leaves comes new buds in the spring after a time of winter. And it's the cyclical nature of the more than human world is just, I mean, it's the patterns and, and a way of being is all around us. Mm -hmm. Yes. And those leaves that fall to the ground and then like turn into dirt and nourish mm -hmm. new life come spring. Yes. Oh, and nurse logs. I absolutely love. I mean, I, as I read, like I've been reading like, well, over the several years, like overstory is another as a, uh, I mean, talks a lot about um, just the trees and the forest and the regeneration. Um, uh, rewild is that re called rewilding uh linda hopps book um uh -huh. about rewilding and um th there are so many coming out lately um uh christine volter's painter Volt christine volter's painters books i think uh she talks about earth is the original monastery like um why are the the great cathedrals of europe were patterned after great forests yeah and why don't we just go into those great forests? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And yeah, I love that you bring up the nurse log because um, that's a log that's in a forest that has died and then new life as it decomposes, it feeds new life that grows on and within that log. Is that right? Yes, yes. The tree, the life coming from life, uh, the tree just like, the tree and the mushrooms and the lichen and the moss, just like there's, it's teeming with, um, with a home for the mole and the fox and the, um, yeah, and and new new forests. Mm. Yes, and I love that, like through the mycelium network, that trees speak to each other and like yes. share share resources with one another. Yeah, and like know when like pecan trees have you read in braiding sweet grass and she speaks yes. about how like you don't know when they're going to like bear fruit and they do it in on their own time in their own way yeah and that they there's almost if I'm remembering right she talks about a coordination between them as well yes. that helps the whole grove survive it's yeah I think 
I think as humans in community, we have we have a lot to learn from the patterns of how how trees interact with one another and how we maybe can thrive um, in different ways by coordinating and and helping one another. And that um, I don't know this myth of this myth of um, Cartesian cognition, this, I think Descartes, I think therefore I am um, from the enlightenment and uh, well, uh, just before the enlightenment, um, I think is, has not served us well, at least in, in the US and in the West, it's led to kind of this rugged individualism and uh, dualism and, um, and this belief that uh, we have to pull ourselves up by metaphoric bootstraps and um, I just, I'm not sure that that has been serving anyone very well with the exception of a small um, white male majority for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, and the systems that have been set up to continue on in this way of being. And I know like you also think about this and I, nurture it in my own life of nurturing community and connection with people and one another, whether it's virtually or in person or, you know, the person that I'm sitting next to at the bus stop or the airport or whatnot, like sometimes you can have these really deep and meaningful conversations in these like random moments, if we're willing to open to the possibility. Yeah. And be vulnerable and, and just, and connect and say, hello, even, I feel like even just saying hello to the stranger um, connects us in such a deeper way than not making eye contact or not saying hello, or it says, I see you and, mm-hmm. and you're here. Yes. I, I recognize that. Yes. And I feel like we, I feel like especially this year with the pandemic, there have been so many like in our culture, these different binaries that we're like placing ourselves in and putting Mm -hmm. other people in that have created more like disconnect. And this, I really have been consciously trying to focus on the ways that we, we are connected and that we can disagree about things and have different ways of moving through life. And, um, maybe that isn't the path that I would take, but I totally can honor your choices and also have my different choices and we can come together in these other ways. Yes. Yes. And I think that's how we grow is by like, honoring one another and having just civil discourse and with a deep respect uh, for uh, disagreeing with one another and not having to agree and, and for being able to change our minds. I think, um, I I think that's uh, just a beautiful way, way that we grow um, by being open to um, and shifting and trying on new ways of thinking and being um, that aren't as familiar. And gosh, those have been some of the greatest gifts of my life, I think, is just let's try this on for a moment and and see see where this goes. And um, yeah, I, what would the world look like if we like if we acted as though, or if we 
acted as though. I think if we recognized, <laughs> if we recognized those, those current <clears throat> connections that are already there, um, that we maybe that we probably can't see, and and what if we looked for them, and what if we nurtured one another when when one when one person was was needing something? What if instead of saying oh, they didn't earn it because X, Y, and Z. What if we said, well, we're gonna, for this time and season, we're gonna funnel nutrients their way. Um, and we know that, and not in a tit for tat reciprocity, because I don't believe that that's real reciprocity. That's, uh, but in a like a deep solidarity of, I am because you are. And like, I'm forgetting who said this uh, from, I'm sure many people, uh, but I, I know I, recently was rereading this, but like, we love one another into being. And um, one of my best friends, Jennifer, she just, she talks about how, um, how grateful she is to uh, the community that really loved her and, and her sons into being when she was a young mom. And, um, and she's now about to become a grandmother in February. And yes, and she's going, where are where are those elements of community and can, how can we, if they're not there, how can we create them or um, create rhythms and ritual to this life where we have opportunities to just be with one another and love one another into being. Yes. Yes. And you brought up ritual there. I thought this is something that I've been developing over the last few years of my life. Uh, when I was younger, I, there was sort of almost this, um, fear around even like the word ritual and its connection to like witches or, you know, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and that's a whole other story of, you know, witches and the word witch and women being persecuted as witches. Yes. Uh, but um, mm. I would love if you might share how ritual has come into your um, sphere and some ways that you have chosen to be with ritual and create ritual in your life. Gosh, I feel like anytime I want to know more about ritual, I turn to my friend Amana and I just <laughs> listen to what you're doing in your life. <laughs> and I just am constantly, I'm loving, uh, I just, yeah, I, I think I long for more ritual in my life. Um, right now, this past year, um, it has just been listening, the rituals that I've uh, been trying to embody have just been um, around plants and my garden and kind of each morning um, uh, walking to let the chickens out of their coop and saying good morning and calling them by name and making sure that their food and their water is, is topped off and then uh, making coffee, um, trying to be as slow as possible. So I, my husband's like doing the Keurig coffee thing and I'm like pouring it in this Chemex that takes 10 addition, heating up a, tea, a copper teapot and it takes 10 minutes and then a Keurig that takes another 10 minutes, or I mean, excuse me, a Chemex that takes another 10 minutes and, and trying to, and either like sitting in meditation or, um, or going back out into the yard and just walking the yard as a spiritual practice or, um, or writing for 10 to 20 minutes. Um, and so that morning ritual um, has been something that has been just really constant for me and 
especially like I have this whole like just set of gothas uh, or poems uh, from Thich Nhat Hanh that I have woven into my morning ritual, like uh, as I wash my face um, or well, starting from as I open my eyes to putting my feet on the ground, to turning on the light, to uh, washing my face and my hands, kind of that, uh, that poem of water flows from high mountain places, water runs deep in the earth, uh, water comes to me and I'm filled with gratitude and I, I too am made of water and that just that connection um, and there's brushing my teeth or looking at myself in the mirror, like rather than judging myself, uh, it's beauty is loving kindness. I just these, uh, so that's how I've been incorporating ritual into my life this year and, and just trying to pay attention to the moon and the moon's positions uh, as far as whether they're fertile or not fertile in a fertile or not fertile sign, as far as when I plant a leafy vegetable or fruit or a root vegetable or fruit. Um, but gosh, I'm, I feel like I just want to learn so much more about that. And I'm such a beginner at just starting to be aware of all of that. Mm, yes. I love that you have so many, you just shared so many offerings of, I feel like there's this perception that a ritual has to be like done in this, like very structured way or it has to be these particular things. And I love that you speak to, it can just, it can be as simple as like intention and awareness as you're putting your feet on the floor in the morning or turning the light on and that it doesn't have to be this big thing. And that those small moments can really nourish and shift and change like your whole way of being and interacting in the world. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, I know a few days before your birthday, we spoke about like potential ways you wanted to move through that day. Is there anything you'd like to share from how you chose to have that day this year? Mm, Yes. I turned... 38. And, um, and it was such a, you just asked such generous and beautiful questions. I love it. Um, I'm so glad you're hosting this. Um, good work. Um, the world needs more of you, Amana. And, um, yeah, I, I actually hadn't thought about it a lot until you asked that. So, I mean, speaking of loving one another into being, you did that for me. Um, and yeah, for the first time in, I'm very much extroverted, uh, but for the first time in my life, I just kind of wanted to be spend the day alone on my birthday. And it was really lovely. And, um, and I did, I just, I did a lot of uh, just quiet, creative things, um, um, whether it's doodling or uh, soul collage um, or just with I mean, a glue stick and magazines and pictures and just seeing what resonates and what, um, what I'm drawn to and trusting that. Um, and then a good friend of mine, um, Barb, uh, invited me out to, uh, her, she has, uh, 30 acres of, uh, wooded land that she and her, um, partner, uh, caretake and, and tend and, uh, they have a, a fire pit and it had rained that day. It was safe to have a fire. And uh, they invited me. It was a full moon, which was just stunning, uh, a full hunter's moon. And so uh, 
John and I uh, picked up some dinner and some cake and made a fire and just sat under under this rising full moon for a couple hours and watched the stars and um, it was it was really lovely. Everything I hoped for. Mm, that sounds just so magical. It was. Mm, what a wonderful way to spend time and celebrate your entrance into the world and your birthday. Mm. Are there any other stories or things you feel like you would like to share before we close? I'm feeling like we're coming to a close here. I think that's, it's been enough. That's, I think that's another thing that I've, um, I'm just trying to hold uh, just, just some reassuring phrases that uh, this moment is enough. I am enough. Uh, We are enough. Uh, We belong. Um, Yeah. Mm, Yes. Enough. What a beautiful gift and way to end this gathering today. Thank you so much for being here and sharing some of the depths of your soul with me and the, the listeners here. And yeah, until next time, is there any way, um, do you, would you like for people to be able to reach out and connect with you? And if so, is there a path or would you prefer to stay more anonymous? Yeah. Um, I, um, I have an on and off again relationship with social media, uh, but I am out there on social media, uh, Andy Chatburn or a Chatburn. Uh, it's chat like I'm chatting with you, be, burn like ouch, I burn myself. Um, and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, if you give the grace of connecting uh, over over time and not expecting things to be instant or even within 24 hours or a week, then um, our paths will cross. Beautiful. Wonderful. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for soaking in these soul stories today. If you would like to know more about my personalized offerings for grief, pregnancy, and mothering, you can take a look at my website. If you're not sure if my offerings are right for you, simply follow the link in the show notes and schedule your free clarity call with me today. Are you looking for a handcrafted holiday gifts and customizable gift boxes? If you're local to Spokane, this season I'm vending at the Winter Market on Wednesdays in the Pavilion downtown from 3 to 7 p.m. and at Lumberbeard Brewery every other Sunday from 2 to 4. Or you can check out my Etsy, Earthing Nova, where you will find beautiful, earth-friendly, zero-waste bath and body products handcrafted by myself and my husband with conscious ingredients and eco-friendly, customizable gift boxes. Thank you so much for supporting my podcast by tuning in today. I would love to hear from you. If you have some thoughts, reflections, or stories to share, if you're enjoying this podcast and feel inspired to leave a rating or review on iTunes, I would be incredibly honored. We are all warmed by the same sun. Remember to be brave, be bold, be loved, be you.